Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome 2021. Marin here with a stuffy nose on this New Year's Day. And let's see where to start. For this new year, my goal slash intention is to record a podcast each Friday. So if you're a regular listener, you'll be able to actually count on these sometime after that in the week. So I'm thinking I'll record on Friday and the podcast will be ready at the latest by Tuesday. So maybe sooner. I'm thinking about mini series to do. So if people have thoughts or opinions or desires in that manner, please email me, marin at indiebirth.org. I will continue the mothering podcasts. I don't know that those will have a set schedule, but I will incorporate them every so often into the Friday recordings because I know people really like those. Margot and I were talking yesterday, and of course, we have different, different everythings, right? We have different podcasts, we have different intentions, but obviously, we come together on a lot. And so far, we've decided that perhaps this year, we will be more focused with our content in serving birth workers, so doulas, student midwives, and midwives. And this isn't to leave the pregnant women out, but we're just feeling like we're being called to choose, so to speak, so that we can keep our focus. And the Indie Birth Midwifery School is doing so awesome. The doula, the birth warrior project doula training is doing really awesome. And we're really feeling like that's the flow. Not to mention, we each have our own midwifery practices here. Uh, I have mine here, obviously, in Sedona. Margot has hers in Minnesota. And so we personally get plenty of pregnant women interaction. And that takes a lot of focus and a lot of time. So I think that's what we're both feeling as of the moment. We're going to keep the pregnant focus to our local people, other than offering virtual prenatals, which we have for a while. So if you're out there listening, and you're like, Oh, no, I really wanted, you know, to listen to more during my pregnancy. Well, first of all, there are so many podcasts, so many, please check the podcast archive. Places like iTunes don't keep all almost 200 of our podcasts. So if you are pregnant, and you don't know that, you could easily start at the beginning of the podcast archive. And there would be too many to fit in in a pregnancy, unless you listen to several each day. So we feel like pregnant women are pretty well set up with the content we already have. And yeah, we have our pregnant clients here and um, virtual prenatals. So if you're out there and you're pregnant, you're like, Oh, I really wanted to work with them virtually, you totally can you can do virtual um, prenatals and postpartums. And occasionally, we will do virtual birth support for just the right people. So pregnant women don't worry. And really, I think the pregnant women that listen to my podcast and, and look at our content in general, are pretty well educated, and will still benefit from the podcast that will be more birth worker focused because it's not beginning. Well, some of it is some of it will be beginning knowledge information. But we'll see. I'm not somebody that 
uh, is hard and fast with with rules. So if I feel like doing a podcast and it pertains to pregnancy, then obviously I will. But having a bit of focus is also super helpful. And yeah, 2021 is here. Feeling good about that. Don't know about you, but I think many of us are just grateful to have made it through and to be at the beginning of a new adventure, which of course we could sort of make any time. We don't have to wait for January 1st. And I can't say 2020 was a bad year for me. I had a great pregnancy. I birthed Rumi and that was amazing. And he is amazing. And simply by virtue of having him here with us, uh, 2020 was a great year. So speaking of the year in review, that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about the births that I had the honor of attending this past year and some other experiences, kind of a year in review and wrap up. And yeah, totally um, grateful to all these women who allowed us to be present with them and part of their experience. And yeah, really excited for what's coming this next year. I am taking a couple months off and that's great and feels great. So the universe has responded to my request for a couple months off, which is always how it works. And as of now, won't be getting back to births till this late spring slash summer. So I'm going to review the year and obviously I'm not going to use names and I'm probably going to even just mix up the timeline so that nobody can really identify themselves too clearly and just talk about what I learned. Um, I think that feels like the best way to go because I wasn't the one having the baby (laughs) except when I was uh, the one time this year. But these other women, I don't want to comment too much on what I think their experience could have been, obviously, because that wasn't me. So I'm going to talk about my perspective as the midwife about all of these births. And let's see, how many were there? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, Um, including mine. 13 births I attended this past year, which is a pretty average year, right? So that's an average of one per month. And... Um, that's not generally how it works. Usually there's like two one month or zero one month, whatever. But that's pretty typical. I think one a month is about what I've averaged uh, for a while. And that feels good. And I think that's another universal decision, just having 10 children now and a baby. I don't want much more. And I'm pretty selective with the clients that I do work with. So I think that's why it is that way. I could be a lot busier, but I choose not to at this point in my life. And I want to talk about all of that. So let's see where to start. Hmm. Well, of the bunch, let's see. Um, There was a second time mom, a third time mom, first time mom, third, fifth, Second, 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 (laughs) me and Rumi. Um, Third, second, first. So a decent range in there. And only, let's see, only two first time moms of the bunch. Uh, We have a podcast on, I think, first time births. Margo and I did it together. So you could listen to that as to why those births can sometimes just feel more complicated and why some midwives choose not even to work with first time moms. I don't feel that way, but I am really, really particular. So I guess I could start with that. When I found out I was pregnant, it definitely changed everything for me. So I became a lot more selective, even more than usual with the births that I wanted to take on while I was pregnant. And so that's one reason why there's only two first-time moms in there. I did meet a bunch others. And in general, there were a lot more interviews and people that came through, but they weren't the right match. And that happened on both sides, as it typically does. 
although I've gotten even more clear, I think, in the interview process. But there were people that, you know, I wasn't the right match for. And I didn't hear from again. And I don't know what happened to them. (laughs) They went on and chose something else. And then there were people that I just didn't feel right about. And that should be its own podcast. But that's sort of tricky, but also not. It's just knowing that we are not the right match for everyone. And we have to be honest about that. And in being honest about the way we feel, then people can be more honest with themselves and find what they really need. So there were a couple people this year that really I liked. It's not about liking them. Really sweet women having their first babies, but just wasn't wasn't the right match, especially for me being pregnant. So I'm not sorry about that, of course, no regrets. And I wish those women well, if they've birthed, some of them have, I think, and some of them haven't. And I think I knew in advance that after Rumi's birth, I would need a break. Even though I didn't say that even to myself very openly, I was open back in, you know, August, September, whatever. I was open to taking on clients for right now. But I'm so glad I didn't. And I'm so glad that, in a way, none of those women were the right match on either side of the coin. Because I'm really enjoying this break. And I really, really need it. And I will return energized and inspired after this whole year. So I'll just kind of pick random and of course, not using names, but we'll just highlight uh, the experience. Oh, okay. So I'm going to start with this one and I'm going to have to mark them as I go. This was a third time mom and one of the rare people who I've had the honor of walking with every time. And of course, the longer you're a midwife and the longer you're a midwife in the same geographical area, the higher the chance that you will have repeat clients, you know, all of the time, which I don't think any midwife would lie and say they weren't some of her favorites. For all the reasons you'd imagine, you know them, you've seen them in birth, you know how they birth for the most part, you know how it looks and feels. It's just the ultimate level of comfort with another woman. So I love this woman as I love all of them. And her first baby was when she was very young. This was her third. She's still young. And she's had all home births. So Margo was with me for a month last year. And this was one that we attended together. And that was really extra super fun because Margo had attended her first birth with me when she was a student. So it was just all around great. And there was nothing to say about it other than she had a beautiful birth as she did the first two times. And there was one thing, though, that I remember. And if any of these topics interest you or you want to hear more, you should email me. Um, We're planning all kinds of other events and content, as I mentioned, for birth workers, specifically midwife students. And so some of these things might be something you want to hear more about. So with this birth, the birth was uneventful water birth, and her placenta just wasn't coming after the birth. And she wasn't bleeding. But it was an interesting scenario, because it seemed emotional. And knowing her as well as I do, it was kind of like an honest conversation what's up with this? You know, what's going on? And she said something like, well, my last birth, her second, where I had a different student there, um, the student, she felt sort of like interfered or rushed her placenta birth or something along those lines. And it wasn't something that had come up in this prenatal time. So it was kind of news to me, but that's okay. And it seemed, yeah, she was just feeling traumatized or something. And I remember her saying, and this is the client, of course, um, I'm just, she was just kind of scared. She was like, I'm scared it won't come out. And I reminded her, you know, it had, it has come out easily the last two times. So clearly it was this emotional sort of hang up. And 
it was sort of just a watch and wait. Again, she wasn't bleeding. There was nothing wrong, but she was wanting it out. And let's see, at one point after a while, she was sitting on the toilet, which was one of our ideas to see if it would come there. And I asked if I could press on her belly. I wanted to see where her fundus was. And I kind of like pushed in at her belly button and it just plopped out. It was very strange. I had never seen anything like that, never felt anything like that. And I don't really even know what happened. It's almost like it was suctioned somewhere. And, you know, this little nudge literally pushed it out of her because she didn't even put in any effort. It just, I pushed on her belly, plop almost into the toilet. We caught it. So that was interesting. Always learning. That's the theme. Never a year where you're not learning. So let's see. First time, one of the first time months. Um, it was a longer birth, but I feel like for first time moms, that's just usually the way it goes more often than not. And it was one of those births where the woman gets to almost the end of the opening process. And then there's kind of a lull. And it's a strange place to be, I'm sure. I mean, I've not experienced that in my own births, but I've seen it a lot as a midwife. Uh, It just is a lull. It's just kind of a flat line that happens at about eight centimeters or whatever, whatever you want to say before someone starts pushing before the baby is really engaged and rotated and ready to come. So this was one of those. And again, this could be a podcast, but really the solution is really in the mother's hands. Sometimes we call this an emotional dystocia and sometimes we don't really know. And I don't remember thinking I knew, but it always feels like something's up when this happens. Or maybe there's not anything emotionally up. Maybe the body just is taking the time it takes, right? So it's kind of a toss up between that, you know, having some talks about fears, and then also just trusting the timing and keeping her fed and hydrated and all that good stuff so that when the time arrives, even if it's not for a while, she can finish the process and have the baby at home. And that's exactly what this mom did. And it was beautiful. Okay, moving on. Um, Another repeat client. She had a beautiful, easy first water birth. And this was, from my perspective, another beautiful, easy water birth. So not too much to say about this one. And I think that's great. We don't need to say a whole lot about some of them other than it's such an honor to be there. And again, repeat clients in particular are just so great because they've done it and things like birthing their own placentas, um, other than (laughs) the story I just told where there was a little bit of a hang up there usually is pretty easy. So I guess there were a handful of repeat clients this year and also some new people. Okay, uh, the next one I'm going to talk about is a third time mom. No, 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 second, second, sorry. And this was the first home birth for this woman, which, as you may know from listening, I love people that are having their first home births too. Her first was a hospital birth and an induction with an epidural. So that did end up being kind of a key point because when you have an epidural, you can't feel anything. And so even though this woman's body had birthed before, she hadn't registered those sensations, at least consciously. So that was definitely a theme of this for her, I believe. And while we sometimes think of second births as being really fluid and fast, and they often are, for this woman, it really wasn't. And she was surprised by that. And I think a lot, and this is my perspective, a lot had to do with having it be new sensations and not really knowing what it would feel like and, you know, pain and all of these things that when we've had a baby and we can feel it, 
we have that knowledge for better, for worse, but this was all new. So even if, even though it was her second, it was all new and it was really, really, um, humbling to be with her and just see her power. And that's true of all of these women, of course, but this was really, really raw. There were times she was going to go to the hospital. She was just done. She couldn't handle the pain, but of course she could. Right. And that's typically the way it goes. Um, I don't care what people do, you know, and that might seem strange. And, you know, other midwives, other students might be like, what? What do you mean you don't care? It's not my birth. So when she really wanted to go to the hospital, or it seemed like she did, uh, I wasn't going to stop her, you know, it's not my job to make sure everyone has a home birth at all costs, if that's not really what they want. And so, you know, I said, okay, let's pack a bag, you know, let's go, you go. Uh, If that's what you want, if you really want an epidural, and that's how you see this birth going, I'm not going to stop you. This is your birth. You do what you want. But there's nothing wrong. Your baby will come and we will do our best in supporting you. However, you are the only one that can birth this baby, that kind of stuff. And that's a different feel in a birth. It's not the same feel as just getting there and watching a repeat client push a baby out, and it looks pretty easy. Um, Some births are harder work, you know, even for the midwife. And of course, my work is not that hard compared to the person having the baby. I don't mean that. But just it takes on a different tone. So rather than just kind of sitting in the corner and supporting with energy, some people need more, they need hands on, they need kind of a more authoritative presence not telling her what to do, but just kind of laying it out there. Yes, you can do this, or you can do this. Um, Vaginal exams came into play with a couple of these births. And those are really helpful at times. And it can really encourage people and just give them some facts. This is happening. Uh, What do you want to do? You know, your baby is here, you need to get to this point. You have what it takes, but it's your choice. So this was a very triumphant story. And this woman did not choose ultimately to go to the hospital to birth. And she had a beautiful birth. And I think it really changed her life. And as we all know, if we've birthed, we don't even know how birth will change us when it is happening or has just happened. It can take months and years. So I'm excited to see how this woman in particular grows and changes. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's the theme with a lot of people, but we'll see. Um, Rumi and I, I'm not going to talk more about our birth, but that was one of the births. And it was in the fabric of all of the births I'm telling you about. So that's one reason why I'm always pretty deliberate with the births that I attend uh, when I'm pregnant, because you kind of can't escape that they're all woven together. So I don't really know what that means other than it was a story and it was different than all the stories because all of these are different and it taught me so much and yeah, there wasn't another like it uh, that I've ever been to actually. And I talked about it on my long, long podcast, uh, The Magical Tale of Rumi Soul, but I talked a little about the clinical aspect, which, which, which is he was a brow presentation to the best of my ability to figure that out in hindsight. So that's unique. I can't say I've ever had that as the midwife. And I don't know that I ever want to see that again. Um, And why that happened, you know, who knows, probably just having had a lot of babies, honestly, just sort of luck of the draw and having a lot of room in there could have been shortish cord could have been him having his hands in the way he had his hands all over the whole pregnancy. And even as a newborn, he constantly had his hands in front of his face and his elbows in front of his face. So I'm inclined to believe that that's actually what happened, that he just kind of got wedged in there when my waters opened with his hands in the wrong spot. And he wasn't able to tuck his little head. So a deflexed head can certainly cause problems. And I feel lucky because in the worst case scenario, I suppose, a C-section really would be indicated. Um, So I'm feeling super grateful that that wasn't my fate, that he did come out pretty swiftly when it was time. 
And yeah, no one else, no one else needs to experience a brow presentation. But if they do, I guess I will know more than I did, which is cool. Oh, there's always a dog. Sorry. And they're so loud. Um, let's see another repeat client. How many repeats did I have this year? One, two, three, four, five. Five. Five out of 13 were repeats. Oh my gosh, the dog is so obnoxious. I'm so sorry. Okay, um, another repeat. Let's see if I can get rid of this dog somehow. I'm going to text my husband and see about that. But this is real life here. I'm on my bed because Rumi will probably need to be brought in. So anyway, okay. Repeat client uh, out of the five out of 13. This was her second. And her first was a precipitous birth, which means very fast. And we missed it. So her first birth, we literally walked in and the baby was out and she was in shock. And she had a postpartum hemorrhage. So the focus the second time was, of course, to make the birth, <laughs> which we did. Margo was with me. And to just have worked the whole pregnancy on this postpartum hemorrhage idea. Um, I have two stories like that in this group. This is one. And so that might be something people want to hear more about. Although really, I think if you really want to know more about postpartum hemorrhage, you should be in midwifery school because there's only so much to say without a really in-depth study and reflection on all of the things, the emotional aspect, the spiritual aspect, and the physiology. So this woman, uh, we had determined to the best of our abilities that her postpartum hemorrhage with the first birth was really due to someone interrupting. And that was me. That someone was me. I came in right when the baby was out and she was just in shock and not very grounded and surprised and all those things. And her body, for whatever reason, interpreted that as a threat. So that was a lot of the conversation with this second birth impending that we would do our best to be there. And, you know, if we weren't just more about how it worked and, you know, what her body was capable of doing and how she could keep her blood and, and working on fears and whatever else came up. So luckily, this woman did not bleed too much with the second birth. Her baby was born within actual minutes of us being there. So it was also a very, very fast birth. And yeah, if this woman goes on to have more babies, I don't know how I'll ever make it because she lives about half an hour. Um, so yeah, that was great. And all is well with that. Okay, another one. This was not a repeat client. This woman was having, honestly, I don't remember her fifth or sixth. I can't remember fourth, fifth or sixth, something like that. Uh, and the reason I don't really remember is because this woman hired us literally hours before she had a baby. That does not happen very often. I can't say it's ever happened, but we were honored to step in for a variety of reasons. Uh, she felt she needed to transfer care. And the birth was great. I think from my perspective, all I would really say is that it brought my attention. Duh. And this is such a duh. It brought my attention to the fact that the relationship is so important. So I was happy to step in and kind of be this last minute midwife. But truly, she didn't know me. I didn't know her. There wasn't much of a relationship at all. And that was hard. It was hard for me. And, and I'm sure it was hard for her. So I wouldn't recommend that. Although, you know, I don't think there's nothing went wrong, you know, nothing was wrong with it. And if that's what she wanted, that's what she wanted. I'm just not sure I would put myself in that situation again. It was just hard not knowing the family. And they were very nice people. So again, it's really not about this woman. It just, you know, midwifery care is based on relationships. So what do you do when someone shows up really late, and you don't have a relationship? Well, 
you can't trust them in the same way, truly, because you don't know them. So that was hard at the birth. It wasn't like a super easy breezy birth either. Uh, so it definitely made me question a lot of things and reconsider a lot of things and probably have some better boundaries around taking people that late because it was kind of insane. Okay, next one. Um, this was the one out of, well, Rumi and I did birth at a hospital, as you all well know. So that is considered a transport. Um, but this was the other transport and the only surgical birth of the 13, which is a fairly decent statistic. This was another first time mom. And, you know, not to, let's see, not to minimize the experience, obviously, but I'm not telling this from the mom's perspective. I'm telling this from mine and not to minimize the way that birth can look sometimes, but sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it just seems like the stars are out of alignment, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and someone, you know, chooses and and I think this was a great choice, chooses to um, go to the hospital. And I think there is such a time and place for that. You know, again, it's not and never has been home birth at all costs to me. So first births are so tricky. Again, listen to the podcast Margo and I did. It's called something like first babies sometimes fall out, but mostly they don't. And I think that's true. You know, I think mostly they don't. And that's for so many reasons. So this woman just had a really long, hard labor and her baby just was seemingly not in a very good position, probably another deflexed situation similar to mine, but sort of worse, you know, because she hadn't had a baby before and her body really didn't even get to opening very far. So it just was, um, and again, not to like make someone's birth story into these criteria, but as a midwife and from just this clinical perspective, it just was a bunch of stuff not lining up. And so someone has to make the call and really that's the woman, but with support, you know, with my support saying, yes, this is no longer normal. And I think you would benefit from help. So she did. And really nothing changed in the hospital, even with the tools that they have there. And so um, it was a C-section that I think was needed for sure. Oh, not easy though. Not easy. And coming up with why, even as the midwife can be hard, um, finding a way to also remain detached in a healthy way is necessary because all of these stories are so interesting and all of them are not mine except for the one that is mine. So, um, you know, imagine if I treated all of them as if they were mine, I would be an emotional basket case and I'd be totally drained. And I won't lie, that happens sometimes. But for the most part, uh, I'm feeling good about that. And that's always something I want to do better. So with the new year, I can do even better with that. Not taking on these experiences, not taking responsibility I think self-responsibility is a theme for me this coming year. And I really am excited to see how these future women reflect that even more. And and this group was amazing. You know, I think the self-responsibility quota or not quota, um, you know, meter was high. Okay, this was a third time, mom, and we missed it. So... That was the one we missed out of all of them. So can't really say. I'm sure it was beautiful. And we got there before the placenta came out. So not long after. And yeah, easy, easy. All right, another second time mom. And this mom had a hemorrhage with her first birth as well. I was not present. I was not the midwife. This was in some other location. And that was a huge focus because, you know, with the other one that I told you about, I was part of that woman's care. So I had more information with this woman because I hadn't been her midwife the first time. I really didn't know. And I had to put the pieces together and ask lots of questions. And, you know, she also did most of the work. She had to learn more about what happened. She had to understand what undisturbed birth was. She learned about 
birthing your own placenta. Um, she did a lot of work to kind of learn and look back and say, oh, yeah, like maybe this, maybe that. And it was an, this second birth was just absolutely beautiful and easy and in the middle of the day, absolutely perfect in every way. And she did not bleed a drop. So that is amazing. And again, all the credit goes to her. Um, I think on the midwife side of things, though, we can take our own credit in a sense for just not holding fear around that. So when someone comes and they tell me that, oh, I bled with, you know, my last birth, I'm not scared at all. I know that there is lots of work to be done if they're willing to do it. And I never expect someone to bleed again. I just don't. I don't think it's a thing that means it's going to happen again because there's so many things that go into it. So this woman did the work, but she was, I think, well supported. And I know she was just so proud of herself for manifesting what she knew she was capable of without all the trauma. Um, You know, hemorrhage can be really traumatic. So yay. All right, making it through. Oh, I did this one. Let's see. We're coming to the end. Oh, okay. Another second birth. Uh, This woman, I think people might have questions about for future podcasts, not about the woman, but about the situation. And this was a woman who found me sort of towards the end, but not not ours, like a couple months, having her second baby and had been with the birth center uh, around here. And she was labeled high risk. She was labeled gestational diabetes or a gestational diabetic. So I really call me crazy. Love meeting women like this. And it's not to always disprove their label. Uh, It often is. In fact, most of the people that come with labels like that, it's not real. I mean, other than twins or something like that's real. But gestational diabetes is not real. And she did not have actual diabetes. And it was really a huge learning experience. And I was so grateful. In fact, our students got a whole case review on this birth with labs and paperwork and all the things. Because this woman had it, you know, from top to bottom from the birth center. She was labeled, um, like I said, a gestational diabetic, and she was referred to a perinatologist and basically threatened that if she didn't go to the perinatologist, which is hours away from where she lives, then she would be released from care. So, you know, I think she was pretty damn smart because she just sought out another option and all the while taking care of herself. And, you know, charting what she was eating and her blood sugars many times a day. So, you know, it wasn't like she just tossed their diagnosis in the garbage. She was curious. She was curious about learning more. She was curious about her body. But ultimately, when I met her, what I loved about her was she said, you know, I know everything's fine. Like I could maybe eat better. So I'm doing that. But I'm I'm not sick. There's nothing wrong with me. So, um, you know, I think part of the job of a midwife, and again, another podcast, is determining what I think, you know, I mean, no one actually knows sometimes, like, what's the truth? It's opinion, and it's perspective. So just because I see one number on a page doesn't mean I'm going to go along with it. I want to know more. I want to know more about her. I want to know more about all the things. So that's when and I hope this doesn't sound insensitive, like a person sort of becomes a research project in the best way. And our job as midwives is to figure out what's going on, not just this cursory look over. Um, You know, when you have a practice, I imagine of many midwives at a birth center, do they even talk? Like, I don't know, but it doesn't look like they do because this one said that and this one took this number. And, you know, they don't have like a really great view of what's going on with any one person because their attention is scattered. So that's the benefit, I think, of working with one midwife that has time and has made time to go over all of your info thoroughly and come up with her own conclusion that involves you as a person. So we did that. This woman and I did that. And and I had lots of questions for her. And she had lots of questions. And we ordered some further lab work. And, you know, we did lots of things to come to some sort of conclusion, which was this woman did not have any kind of diabetes. She was not ill or sick or high risk in any way. Uh, and, you know, again, it's 
there's so much to say about it and gestational diabetes in particular. And I'm not going to go into all that now. We have a really popular podcast on gestational diabetes, but this taught me even more. It taught me even more just from a real life perspective, because truly in all of my years of practice, which is approaching, you know, 12, 13, um, I, I don't deal with this a lot because the people I work with don't choose this ridiculous gestational diabetes test. Um, they're healthy and they don't generally have any kind of reason to do that or symptoms. And a lot of them just don't believe it anyway. So I'm all for identifying sick people, you know, (laughs) I mean, that's not my job, but that's a doctor's job, but I'm all for yes. If someone is truly sick with something in pregnancy, then they need medical care. But uh, gestational diabetes is just one of the biggest, biggest crazy circus acts of um, modern obstetrics. That's my opinion. And many midwives buy into it as this birth center did. So they were going to risk out and send to perinatology and spend money and time and all this nonsense on this perfectly healthy woman and perfectly healthy baby. So shame on you. Uh, Not that, you know, we are always right or not that we don't, you know, sometimes have the wrong conclusion. But I think birth centers like this that are constantly risking people out, they should really take a step back and think about, you know, what they're doing and and what their intentions are and what the point is. Because yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I don't feel it. And this woman didn't either. She was wise to it. She had had a home birth the first time somewhere else. So been there, done that. And that was really encouraging to me as well. So she had a great birth, second baby, totally normal labor, totally normal blood sugars, perfectly normal size baby, no complications at all. So yay. Um, Actually, she did bleed a little bit after birth, but she was totally stable and didn't seem to affect her at all. So that's another uh, conversation with the hemorrhage discussion. What you see, what you measure doesn't always mean anything, even though it can be horrifying. (laughs) Okay, another repeat client and another second baby. And let's see, this woman the first time had a really uneventful fast birth and her baby was seven pounds. And then the second birth, she had a really uneventful, but not quite so short, but not long, just sort of average birth. And she birthed quite a large baby, a 10 and a half pound baby. And, you know, that happens. Second baby, this one was a boy. And yeah, I just really love this woman, as I do all of them. But again, shout out to those repeat clients. And yeah, not much to say about it. Just an honor to be there. Okay, I think I'm like on the last one. Okay, another repeat client. She was having her third baby. And this woman will most likely record a podcast with me. So you'll get to hear her full story, which is amazing. And all of her stories are amazing. She had a cesarean her first birth. And I assisted her with her first VBAC at home a couple of years ago, which was just perfect. And then this third birth was also beautiful and amazing, but um, really, really intense in a sense. And I think she would say the same thing. So from a clinical aspect, this baby was stuck upon um, the head being born. So shoulder dystocia and kind of like gestational diabetes, I don't see a whole lot of, of shoulder dystocias. In fact, in 12 years. I don't know that maybe one, I can think of one. And that is a kind of a um, rabbit hole, just the definition of shoulder dystocia. I think different midwives have different definitions. And mine is pretty specific. I don't think a baby taking time to be born is a shoulder dystocia nor do I think a head being out for quite a while is a shoulder dystocia. Um, To me, a shoulder dystocia is a baby that is truly impacted, that is not doing well because it is not coming. And, you know, obviously involves a shoulder. So there are other reasons a baby doesn't come. There are other reasons a baby can be distressed. But when there is an actual impaction of the shoulder on the mother's bone, and the baby truly can't get out, then yeah, that's what that's called. 
And so that was sort of not fun for any of us, although ultimately worked out beautifully and was surprising as those things are. And yeah, uh, the highlight, and this might sound funny, but just because it really was so beautiful and powerful and amazing, this woman, upon receiving her baby, which again was stuck. So by the time we got the baby out, which didn't take long, but still the baby was struggling a little bit to transition as they often do. Um, This mom resuscitated her own baby and we coached her. Ashley and I kind of coached her through that. Um, I trust this woman so much. I mean, I trust all of these people, but I know this woman really well. And so it was never in my, um, flow to take her baby and resuscitate the baby for her. You know, I truly knew she could do it. And so, you know, I listened with the stethoscope. I had my watch. I was on what the baby needed, but she did the resuscitation and she talked to her baby and she breathed for her baby. And it was, um, you know, very emotional for all of us. And it is captured on video. So she may share the video at some point, but I know she wants to talk about it on a podcast because it meant a lot to her, all of it. It, And I think she would say it was a really great birth, even though it was dramatic. So out of all of those, that's one of the only ones that was dramatic. Mine was dramatic. So she and I are, <laughs> we're kindred spirits in a lot of ways, but we, we each had our version of dramatic births this year. And I think she would say this particular woman that that is no accident. Um, both of our babies, we feel are here for big things. And so they did, they challenged us and ultimately we all persevered. So that's the year in review. However, I don't want to leave out um, some other experiences, uh, at least one miscarriage with women I served. And I feel bad that I can't remember if there was more than one. I feel like there should be. And that's just a part of midwifery practice too. So, you know, there definitely was now that I think about it, but maybe with women I hadn't met yet. So women that schedule a consult and then they wind up miscarrying. So you don't necessarily meet them and, you know, you're not really even supporting them, even though I'm willing to. (sighs) Just the other side of life. So supporting people through miscarriages, which is usually an over the phone kind of thing. Uh, Although I'm happy to go there if I can and if that's needed, but always sad, you know, some, some women handle it this way, other women handle it that way. And I find that just checking up on them is a nice thing to do. Something I appreciated with my losses Uh, along the lines of loss. Also a pregnancy release this year from a woman that I served um, previously And, you know, just being honest, I don't necessarily want to get into that whole discussion here. Obviously, I support people's choices. Um, How could I not, you know, how how could I support autonomy and then have judgment around a pregnancy release? Um, But I will admit being pregnant myself made it hard. It made it hard to want to be involved. It made it hard to not have judgment. Um, because I was carrying life, you know, inside of me. And yeah, it's just a big topic of the control we have, sometimes uh, the choices we can make, the overall spiritual view of a lot of those things. And of course, the individual stories that each of us come with as women that we can't know another's story. So ultimately, there has to be um, an attitude of non-judgment that I have because how can I, you know, support someone? Um, But that was hard. I won't lie. And I know it was hard for her too because yeah, I think people that think that's easy, um, you know, maybe have never supported someone through that. It's not usually easy. It can be hard physically, obviously emotionally, So, you know, it's part of the spectrum, though. It's part of the fabric of all of these stories, which uh, I'm so grateful to these women for, again, letting me witness and sharing me sharing a little bit of what I learned. And yeah, that's the year in review. 
So wishing everybody a beautiful new year. Sorry about my scratchy voice. The podcast schedule, as I have it outlined in my head right now, is Fridays, as I have shared. The last Friday of the month, I will be recording a Q&A, for lack of a better description. So, and ask Marin. And if you're on our Instagram or on Instagram, you will be given the opportunity by Julie, our social media coordinator, to submit a question that week prior. So hopefully by the time I do this once a month podcast, I will have questions and emails and that sort of thing to actually answer here. Um, You know, we get tons of emails, but we get a lot of birth stories and we get a lot of like in-depth needing of knowledge. So those people should schedule a consult or a prenatal, virtual prenatal, but sort of more general questions. If people have them, that will be the time and place for me to answer them. And we'll also fill one of those podcast spots per month pretty easily without a whole lot of work on my side. So shout out to Megan. Uh, one of our midwifery students for suggesting that it's a great idea. She said, um, yeah, Dr. Stu does a similar thing, which I know he does. And I hadn't really considered, but I think it's a great idea. So we'll see how that works. And I'll, I don't know what I'll come up with otherwise, but other, other than that, I'll be seeing you each week here on Taking Back Birth. And I wish you all the best. <laughs>